welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on December 19th, Lord's Day Service. This morning is Leviticus chapter 14, Leviticus 14 beginning in verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall come, excuse me, shall command that, the, that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward the priest shall go to examine the house. And he, and he shall, shall exa examine the plague, and indeed if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, green or red, which appear to be deep in the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house and the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest and look, and indeed if the plague is spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside, all around, and the dust they shall scrape off, they shall pour it out in an unclean place outside the city. Then shall they take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take the other mortar and plaster the house." Now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look, and indeed if the plague is spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stone, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house all the while it is shut up shall be clean until evening." And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house, and after the plague, after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for the promise of the coming of our Savior. And may we indeed anticipate and prepare joyfully for that coming. Through Christ we pray, amen. We like our Advent the way that we like our Christmas presents, wrapped beautifully and waiting for us to open them at the appointed time. The gospel has subdued so much of society that we've come to expect grace upon grace throughout our lives without having any difficulty. Yes, sometimes they've run, Walmart runs out of the last of one thing that you were looking for, but that's okay. They will have eggnog again next year. But Advent is not just about waiting for Jesus' nativity. Advent is a time when we wait for Him to come again. 
Our passage this morning in Leviticus is not a traditional Advent reading. This passage is about a house that has something in it that's translated leprosy, but it's better understood as some type of corruption. We would think of it as something like mold or mildew or something like that. It grows on the walls and it brings with it uncleanness. It is a danger that needs to be removed. The process begins with the owner of the house calling for the priest to inspect it. The priest would clear everyone out. He would look at that growth, that corruption, and he would remove, again, he, after removing the people, and then potentially he would inspect it later. He would scrape it down, scrape whatever he saw, this, whatever was growing on the stones, wherever the plaster was that had this substance, he would scrape down the nasty stuff or have it scraped down. They would take the dust, take it outside the city to where it was considered unclean. It would be discarded. Then he would return a second time after new stones had been put in place and new plaster was put in place. If the plague continued to spread, then the home would be broken down. It would be destroyed. It would be reduced to rubble. And all the pieces of that home would, were carried outside the city. And at that point, cleanness had returned. Then there was an offering given, which we will hear about another time. Now, on the surface, this just sounds like a good example on the earlier side of history of nice hygiene. We all, if we find mold growing in our home, we find a way to get rid of it. So some things never change. Yes, certainly, our Lord cares about individual houses and about us not getting sick from nasty mold spores. But there's a lot more going on in Leviticus than that. Remember the whole point of Leviticus. It's filled with talk of building a tabernacle in which Yahweh could dwell. This was always, this tabernacle was always a temporary structure while they waited for the temple. And the temple would eventually be built by Solomon. The temple was Yahweh's house. But we know Within a few generations, this temple was itself filled with corruption. Corruption that the prophets spoke of, beginning with Isaiah. If you read through Isaiah's prophecies, there, there's much to be encouraged about, but then there's also quite a few things in Isaiah that can be a little bit discouraging. Things like you're going to be carried off and you're going to have great destruction in your city, even in your temple. And that those prophecies would continue, Isaiah, Jeremiah, down to Zechariah and Malachi. These stewards were proclaiming God's coming judgment if His people, especially the leaders, did not repent. In the Gospels, then, we read of Jesus coming, not just once, but twice to the temple. In the book of John, the story is found early in Jesus' ministry. 
it said, we know the story, he went to the temple and he saw what was going on and he cleansed it. He removed those who were exchanging money there, those who were, and there's a lot going on in that, and we don't have time to get into the details of that passage. But Jesus in this is the great high priest. He is the priest who has been called by the stewards of God, by those who are the caretakers, the prophets of God's house. They called upon him for years, and when Jesus comes, he inspects the house of God, and he finds it unclean. He cleansed it, as a priest should do. Then he returned later in his ministry towards the very end, just before he was killed. And he again finds finds corruption. What was this corruption, though, that he saw? He saw money changers in the temple who were doing two things. First of all, they were oppressing the people. They had a separate system for money. They were exchanging money because the money commonly used at the time by you know, the, the, out, the outer economy could not be used in the temple. You had to use temple funds, and the exchange rate harmed the people, especially those who were poor when they were bringing, the, they would bring their money in because you couldn't bring a lamb hundreds of miles or even, or even 20 or 50 miles. So you you would go to the temple and you would buy your sacrificial animal there. But they found a way of harming the people who were buying. So that's one problem that was going on. Another problem, though, was these money changers were in the Gentiles' court. They were in the area where God's people were supposed to allow those who were outside the covenant to come in. They were blocking the nations from coming to God. So Jesus inspected. In Matthew 23 and 24, He then warned the people to flee. Just as the family in a corrupt house was required to leave, He told the people... God's people in Matthew 23 and 24 to flee because this house, after his second inspection, would in time be demolished. After Jesus' ascension, the apostles continued this work. They were preaching, praying, and waiting for the righteous judgment of God. We read in Matthew 21 where Jesus is speaking and he tells his apostles, we heard this preached also last week or recently, that Jesus said, If a city or a household does not receive your message, then shake the dust off of your feet. Shaking the dust off of your feet likely refers back to something like Leviticus 14. When the priest would scrape the walls, you would get all of this dust coming off of the walls. And then, of course, if they demolished the house, then that, of course, there would be a lot of dust, and that dust would be carried out. So when the disciples would scrape the dust off of their feet, that was a sign of forthcoming judgment. In the year A.D. 70, 
just as Jesus promised he visited the temple at Jerusalem in judgment. The Roman armies arrived and they leveled the temple. It had been inspected twice by Jesus the high priest and both times he found corruption. There was nothing left afterwards. But all the while, these, while these things were going on, another house was being built. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul tells the church that they are being formed into a new temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets for a household of God. Peter would write to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we, God's people, are living stones that make up God's holy habitation. In the past, the temple was in one particular place. But now, the message to God's people is that the temple encompasses every place where God's servants are. That is the world. It is a cosmic building. It inhabits the cosmos. And this is not something new. Daniel talked about this. He prophesied this. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a great statue. He didn't know what it meant. He was greatly afraid. And Daniel interpreted the dream for him. And in this dream, though, each part of the statue, from the head all the way down to the feet, represented a different nation that was in history. But then at the very end, there was a stone. He said, Nebuchadnezzar said, it's like a stone made without hands that came and it destroyed the statue. And that stone eventually filled the whole earth. Daniel interpreted this dream to Nebuchadnezzar and said that those nations, each part of that statue represented the nations of history. And that when that stone came that was from God. Well, the stone that was made cut without hands, that destroyed all the empires of history, that stone, again, it filled the earth. God's judgment on Jerusalem vindicated the disciples of Jesus and left the true temple standing. Because you had rival temples here. You had the temple of the Jews who claimed to be Yahweh's only people. And then you had this new temple, this spiritual temple. When I say spiritual, don't think invisible, you can't see it. No, it's real. It's as real as you are, because if you are here and you belong to Christ, you are a part of the temple. So this temple is real, and it does fill the whole earth. But you are a part of this temple. So where does that leave us? Like the apostles and prophets, we also declare the kingdom of God. While we build, we pray, and wait. The imposters still come. Rival temples are still being constructed, and their adherents assert to us that theirs is the true way, that they have a way of salvation that finally can get around all of this God stuff. And our place is similar to that of the early Christians. While the world builds 
and worships at rival temples, the corrupt houses. For us, we see that these are corrupt houses. It's plain to us. But it's really easy for us as Christians to take our rocks, shine them up, and throw them at all those rival temples way out there. Name the place. New York, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., times six. All of those, we, we see those rival temples and we can talk, we can explain we, everything. But the pollution does not start there. It begins here. Our deceitful hearts point to the sin of every other person around. It points to the sins that go on in the halls of power. It points to the sins across the dinner table. And yes, we acknowledge, I'm a sinner. Of course I'm a sinner. I can't call myself really a Christian unless I do acknowledge that I'm a sinner, so I have to say that. We see that all that other sin, but the, if we cannot confess and repent of our own sin, our own pride, then we have no basis on which to stand. So, so what do we do first? We must pray for Christ to come and judge us or me. I'm not asking you to, for Je to pray that Jesus will come and judge me. I mean, you, you can certainly pray that, but, I, but please don't just direct it all at me. If, no, we ask him to begin judgment with each of us, to convict us, to reveal to us our sin. Now, I can tell you something that's both good news and bad news all at the same time. That is one prayer he will answer, and he will answer in the affirmative. If you pray for him to reveal your sin, he will do it. But we usually don't like the means he uses to come. When he comes to us, we don't like usually how he does it. We say that it would be okay, you know, we would like an angel to come and just, you know, stand right before us in great power and glory and give us the list. We think that we would take that better, but you know what? Hard hearts don't care who tells them of their sin. If the Son of Man could come and perform miracles in front of people and they denied the very work that Jesus was doing, what makes us think that if we're determined to ignore our sin that we would be any better? No, He uses other human vessels. He uses our spouse, our children, co-workers, bosses, friends, and suffering. 
He visits us through them all. But not because he's angry. We like to think when, when we face suffering, well, God's just mad at me right now. So maybe if, if I, I look hard, maybe I can find that, I don't know, I cut somebody off in traffic when I shouldn't have and I can confess it, and then he'll just take it all away. No. He's doing a lot more than that. No, it's quite the opposite. He is coming to you because he loves you. You ever told your kids when you discipline them, I'm doing this because I love you? And then your kids respond to you the way that I can remember responding a long time ago, I wish you didn't love me quite so much. <laughs> Some things never change, folks. We often wish that God did not love us like that. We think we want to go on. But we're told, if he did not come to you and convict you, it's because he's treating you like you don't belong to him. If he doesn't convict you of your sin, it's because he doesn't work. He's, he's not working in you. He does not love you in that way. Jesus comes to us because he loves us so pray that he will come to you and then don't despise the messengers he sends. This is hard. But begin, pray that he will begin with judgment here and then work outward. But let's say that you are doing that. You are praying and you say, I'm, I'm going through suffering quite plenty of it right now. Thanks. And I'm still looking at the news and I'm seeing how terrible everything else is out there. And we know we can't stop the ongoing system. We cannot physically stop it. We can't eliminate and annihilate all the transhumanist, transgender, and other transgressive nonsense. We see it growing, and it continues to grow. Just as the apostles and prophets did, though, we, as God's people, declare the truth, we build, and we petition our high priest to come and inspect the house. Because it's not just one temple that belongs to him. Every rival temple that goes up is under his lordship because Jesus bought the world. So there's not one place that man can say, I can go here and I'll make my own temple. Sorry. That space belongs to him also. Even cyberspace belongs to him because he's not just God of the land, he's God of the cosmos. Reality and virtual reality are all in his hands. You may be afraid at times to pray 
for God's judgment. And when I say judgment, I just mean His visitation when He declares what is right and what is wrong. As a judge declares when he hears evidence in a case whether the person, in some cases a judge makes a determination of guilt or not, well, the same way for us. We fear sometimes judgment because we think it's all going to come on me. You know, I'm going to be a product. I'm going to be a casualty here. We don't want judgment to affect us. Well, let me tell you, it will affect you. So that's why we're called to build. We prepare now. When the judge comes, as he did at Babel in the book of Genesis, at Sodom, when he came to visit Israel, in ancient Athens, in Rome, and in Jerusalem. When the judge comes, the rival houses and temples are torn down. But those who prepare, those who have built and invested in God's eternal kingdom, they will continue. That's the good news. He doesn't just say, I'm tired of them all, and so, you know, yeah, my children are going to be in, among those wiped out. That's just the way it goes. No. He preserves His people. Now, I'm not saying that we don't face persecution. I'm not saying that, that, that there will not be any trial. That's not the point. But He gives His people warning. Just like the priest would warn those whose house was about to be condemned, you need to get out. It's only the true temple, the one made without hands, that will survive His judgment. But it will survive His judgment. So follow the lead of those who prepared for His coming. We have examples of this. Like Noah, build in the ark. Like Isaiah, declare the good news. Like the apostles, pray for His coming, for His visitation. Like Barnabas, invest in God's heavenly kingdom. Invest in the treasure that cannot be touched by earthly powers. The Savior is coming. And no tyrant, no legislature, no corporation, no bank, or no world system can withstand His coming. Therefore we pray, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you've given us your good word. You've taught us and you've led us in righteousness. May we receive this word and may we grow and faithfully prepare. We do pray indeed, Lord Jesus, that you would come. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.